The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also... When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. You. you may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. My sermon today draws upon a book one of four this week, uh, or these last two weeks, loaned to me by a member of the congregation. The book is titled, rather provocatively, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. The book is by Kate Bowler, and I'll be talking about her throughout the message. Kate Bowler, a professor at Duke Divinity School, specializing in the prosperity gospel, which I will explain momentarily, is dying of cancer. At 35, she had a great job, a loving husband, and a new baby, only to discover that she also had stage four colon cancer. Her world, and I know this quite personally, like all our worlds that receive such news, fell apart. Now, it wasn't the first time that Kate faced a health issue, to put it mildly. In her 20s, she developed severe paralysis in her arms. The doctors couldn't determine the cause. Fortunately, or so it seemed, she was attending a variety of churches at the time for her research on the prosperity gospel. Each one of them offered to help, to cure her. All she needed to do, they told her, was believe. If you had seen me there, she writes, you would have witnessed a girl in double arm braces at a healing crusade swarmed by teachers, evangelists, healers, and prophets like moth to a flame. The trouble is, her paralysis remained. Eventually, those gathered around her began to push her away. Something, they reasoned, must be wrong with her. 
Maybe she's not a true believer. Maybe her sin or sins remain unconfessed. As I walked around with slings or braces on my arms, she recalls, I heard whispers and caught looks, some few sympathetic, others disapproving, and still others gravely concerned. In the small church where I did most of my research, I knew I was loved. I was prayed for, ministered to. But when week after week I returned with the same droop in my arms and weakness in my hands, I thought I saw their lips close and their arms cross. And I felt like I was faithlessness personified. Wow. Faithlessness personified. Imagine how Jesus' apostles must have felt when, in today's gospel, Luke 17, they say to him, increase our faith. And he replies, instead of granting their wish, by rebuking them for not having enough faith, suggesting that something is wrong with them. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, he says famously, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. That's a strange claim. Here's what I think he's saying. With even the tiniest increment of faith, you could do the impossible. With a single word, you could uproot a tree and plant it in salt water, which would otherwise mean its death, and it would obey you. This is doubly impossible. Now imagine Jesus' words taken out of their original context and applied, or rather misapplied, to Kate Bowler's situation. Here we go. If you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, your cancer would go away. If you just had faith, your cancer would go away. This, I submit, is the problem with the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that if you increase your faith, to cite the apostles again from today's reading, you will likewise increase your life, your health, and of course, your bank account. God will reward you materially for the faith you have in God. And if these things don't happen, if your life doesn't increase, if your health doesn't improve, and if your bank account remains the same, then clearly it is your fault. You didn't trust enough. You didn't believe enough. You didn't have enough faith. This is why Kate Bowler caught looks of disapproval, arms crossed in judgment 
by the very people who previously rushed to her side to help her. Certainly, the thinking seems to be, it can't be God's fault, it must be hers. Now, it's easy, I think, to discredit the particularly North American prosperity gospel. I could talk about how its wealthy proponents exploit supporters financially through various ministries of faith healing. I could talk, as I've done before, about how Jesus rejects this way of thinking throughout the Gospels, how he condemns opponents in the Gospel of John, for example, who blame a man's blindness on his sin. I could point to numerous examples throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, of faithful people who suffer profoundly, like Job. I can even, as is often the case, quote passages like Romans 8.28, where we read that, quote, for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's important. For those who love God, all things work together for good. Except, as Kate Bowler points out, that the author of this passage, Romans 8.28, Paul, worshipped God with every breath until his body was dumped, forgive us for the image, in an unmarked grave. I could do all of these things to discredit, rightly so, the prosperity gospel. But in so doing, I would be a hypocrite. Do you know why? Because I believe it. When I was a child, as my mother, who is with us today, will tell you, I suffered from severe asthma. As a kid, I was often taken to the emergency room barely breathing. I remember one day coming home from school on the bus, I was probably seven or eight years old, barely able to catch a breath. My parents were not yet home. I walked through the front door, headed straight for the living room, and lied in their old brown recliner, crying, asking God why. What did I do? That is my default theology. Consciously, as I'm doing now, I reject it. I don't believe that God causes us to suffer when we are faithless. But when I am really sick, when I feel alone, isolated, hurt, or in pain, I fall back just as I did as a child by assuming that my faith is too weak that I question God too much, that I did something wrong, something to deserve what I was experiencing. And maybe, and if this sermon reaches one of you today, it's worth it, maybe some of you do too. Of course, I know it's not wrong 
to question God. Biblical faith, prophetic faith in particular, as our first reading from Habakkuk shows, does it all the time. What faith often is in the Bible is good Jewish arguing with God, questioning God. Even Jesus, reaching out to God from the cross, ends by questioning God. Matthew and Mark tell us his last words before death were, my God, my God, quoting Psalm 22, why have you abandoned me? And yet, here Jesus is giving his followers what looks to be a guilt trip. If only you had a little faith, he says. You could move trees into seas. You could move mountains. You could cure others, and you could heal yourselves. I imagine Jesus saying this to me personally, and I feel the burden of his words. Don't you? Since you're not able to move mountains, presumably, you must be lacking in faith. It's your fault, and it's my fault, whatever the problem is. But if you look again at Luke 17, verse 6, the first full passage in our reading today, you'll notice that Jesus isn't speaking to individuals who must each alone have faith. He's speaking, rather, to all of them. The you in this verse is plural. Together, he says to his apostles, you can do the impossible. I think, for example, of climate change. Individually, I feel completely and totally powerless to do anything. But when I'm part of a group like Queen Anne Lutheran Church, and we start to discuss, for example, our potential involvement in the Green New Deal for Seattle, I feel empowered. And that's because it's not just me doing the lifting. It's not just you doing the lifting. Together we make a difference in this world because faith is a gift that's shared. Jesus is not chastising individuals for their lack of faith. He's chastising his do-nothing apostles who use their lack of faith as an excuse for doing nothing. If only you as a group had the tiniest amount of faith, he seems to be saying, Together, you could do great things. So stop making excuses. Just do it. Dear friends in Christ, I am constantly fighting the temptation to see suffering as punishment from God for a lack of faith. Perhaps some of you are too. I come to church to be reminded that God is not the source of my pain, that God is not the source of my suffering, and that when pain goes, doesn't go away, it's not because I lack the faith. I come to church to hear the good news that God loves me no matter what. 
and that God doesn't discriminate when it comes to suffering. All of us share in it, but God walks with us along the way. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, God gives sunlight to both evil and good, and God sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. God loves us indiscriminately. God loves us no matter what. God weeps when we weep. And the good news for us, as well as for Kate Bowler, is this. No matter what happens to us, God is there. Neither sickness nor pain, neither cancer nor coronary disease can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. God is not the source of your pain. God is not punishing you. God walks with you in your suffering, and this is the good news. Faith, in turn, is not insurance against death, disease, or destitution. It's assurance that God, in all these circumstances, never leaves us, even when all evidence appears to the contrary. May this assurance be yours individually and ours collectively as the people of God. Amen.